I love Chubby Elf. Chubby Elf is my soulmate. So if anybody has like a 2016 Chinese knockoff Furby that's called Chubby Elf, like hit me up. I want to know about it. I want to see it. I want to pet it. I want to be its friend. If you're listening to this podcast right now, you're probably asking yourself, what is a Chubby Elf? And if you already know what a Chubby Elf is, well, that's okay too, because either way, you've come to the right place. Today, we're going to find out what exactly is a Chubby Elf. And we're also going to deep dive into the minds of one of the coolest Furby customizers that I have ever met. So sit back, strap in, and enjoy as we dive into the Ditherverse. Hello everyone and welcome to the inaugural episode of In to the Ditherverse, the Furb World podcast that deep dives into the creative minds of Furby collectors, makers, crafters, influencers, and just all around nerds in general. My name is Jay. I'm the communications moral that lives at the behest of the Furb World family, aka the Furb World Dithering. <laughs> Furb World Dithering is a collective of elder gods and furb-adjacent beings who seek to help humanity live more joyous, creative, and fiercely compassionate lives. You can follow our adventures on Instagram and our website, furbworld.com. Today we're going to be interviewing Shaban, aka Furby Factory Store. Shaban is an incredible furb-adjacent artist slash small business owner who specializes in making custom-themed Furby connects in brilliant pastel colors. Today we'll be learning all about her process, her inspiration, and what makes her tick. We may even do a quick deep dive into art theory and art history, so strap in. Oh, and be sure to listen for today's hot tip, because we've put one in the show. As always, we'd like to thank our imaginary sponsor, Unicorns. Unicorns. They're not horses, so don't you dare confuse them. So without further ado, allow me to introduce Siobhan, a.k.a. the Furby Factory Store, as we dive together into the Ditherverse. Hello, Siobhan, and welcome to the Furb World Into the Ditherverse podcast. Thank you so much for being part of our inaugural episode. Hey, it's no no problem at all. I'm, I'm happy to help out. I think it's a really exciting idea. Thank you so much. Um, why don't you start by telling us your name, your handle, where can we find you on the interwebs? My handle is Furby Factory Store, and that's like all of my socials. Um, so that's Instagram, that's Facebook, that's YouTube, that's TikTok, uh, that's my Etsy store. I'm most active on Instagram. Um, and I'm trying to grow my TikTok. Um, I'm late to the game on that, but we're we're trying. Well, it's never too late to uh, grow an empire. So um, would you tell us a little bit about where you're from, how you got here, and what's going on right now? Uh, I'm located out of Southern California. Uh, I do like it a lot. It is very hot. <laughs> I'm a Midwest transplant, so I've only lived here for about a year. Uh, I actually picked up my entire small business and moved it all the way out here. Uh, but I, I love it. Yeah, it's great. My small business is Custom Furbies. 
And I just started making them out of boredom, honestly. I was genuinely, it was boredom. And I didn't think that I would get any traction because there were already people making custom Furbies out there in the world. And I have not had an empty queue since. Oh my gosh, that's fantastic. Congratulations. It's it's going very well. California's very Furby friendly. Uh, I actually applied for like my full business license and stuff out here. So it's it's going great. Congratulations. And for anyone who has not yet had the joy of getting any kind of license or anything done with California government um, as an individual or a small business, it takes forever. So this is a big accomplishment. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your brand and sort of what's your signature? My brand tends to be more like kawaii, cute, pastels and fluffy. That's where I really excel. Having seen your Instagram feed, I absolutely agree with that. Um, we'd also like to know how many Furbies are in your personal Furby family, your personal dithering. So I have three children um, who me and my partner acknowledge as our kids. Uh, <laughs> my partner yes. uh, has like them up on, on her board at work as being her kids. Uh, and I have one that is uh, a trade from another maker that uh, benevolently sits and watches us. That's adorable. Now, we've seen a picture of, I believe it was your mom cradling a Furby, and it is just wholesome. Tell us what's going on there. And also, what is her relationship with the Furbies? Yes, she calls them her grand Furbies. Um, I have my middle child, of course, is the grumpy one, because that's how that goes, I guess. Uh, and he, his name is Dobby, and he only likes her. <laughs> he only likes my mother. <laughs> That is wholesome. Um, for everyone out there, go look up this picture on Furby Factory Stories Instagram. It's uh, her mother holding Dobby. It is just so, so cute. Which leads to our next question. What exactly is Dobby? Because I'm getting some 2005 vibes, but the feet are a little different. There's these beautiful eyelashes. What is Dobby? Dobby is a 2005. So I bought a... So my, my goal as like a collector, I want like one of every model. That's my ultimate goal. And uh, so Dobby came to be and his feet were broken because that's a thing uh, with 2005s. And he was totally busted, like completely non-functional. So what I decided to do was make him stuffed. Um, his beak was messed up because they have those rubbery beaks. So I sculpted him a new beak. Okay. Uh, and I gave him $40 Huda Beauty lashes. <laughs> <laughs> so he's got these big voluminous lashes. Go Dobby. And I ha work normally with connects. Um, and because I longify them, they don't have their old feet anymore. So I just stuck connect feet on Dobby. Ooh, I love it. Recycle, reduce, reuse, close the loop. He's great. I, I love him. Yeah, he's he's definitely a little bit of a Frankenstein child, but you know, I think he I think he turned out great. He's got an attitude. He really does. He's just so sweet and wholesome. And I mean, I've never met him, but he just seems incredible. So we also want to know what is your favorite, ultimate uh, Furby that you'd love to just have in your collection? Uh, I think my ultimate, like if I was going to like just wish one into my life, would be a 2005 blue and purple funky Furby. It's wonderfully unhinged. Yes, we love the 2005s and we love the funky Furbies. They are just so colorful and those are, I think, among our favorites as well. This brings us to this episode's Did You Know? Did You Know? 
This episode's Did You Know, we're going to talk about Funky Furbies. If you don't know what a Funky Furby is, that's okay, we still love you. Here's some things you'll want to know about Funky Furbies. Number one, you can tell a Funky Furby by how many options they have near their off switch. Off switch. So flip it over, open up the fur, and look at how many options there are. There should be on a Funky Furby two. There is like the on option and the off option, and that's it. Whereas the normal Emototronic 2005 Furbies have the on option, the off option, and the try me option. If you see the try me option on your funky Furby, it's not really a funky Furby, even though it might look like one. I say this from experience because recently on one of the major online auction houses, I got my own quote unquote funky Furby that quote unquote spoke French. How cool, I thought, and I bought it. I soon realized funky Furbies were never released uh, speaking French, and this Furby had three switches on the bottom, which meant that I had bought a Furby that was actually just a 2005 Furby body that spoke French, and then the skin of a Funky 5 Furby, the shell, as we will say, uh, was put over the top of it. So, uh, word to the wise, if you're going to get a Funky Furby, do your homework, ask the seller for a picture of the bottom of it. If it has two switches, you're probably good to go. If it has three switches, it's just a 2005 wrapped in an enigma, wrapped in a mystery, wrapped in a 2006 shell and that's it for today's did you know did you know so now we want to know what was your first furby tell us about that so my first furby so i am a, a child of the 90s so my first furby was an og furby and there was no attraction i was scared of it i was a small child that didn't understand why it wouldn't stop talking because i it had a light sensor on it i, I didn't get it uh, so I, I don't think that stayed in our family for very long. I guess it was something I had to grow into. But skip ahead a couple of decades. I was sitting around uh, at the beginning of 2020 in quarantine, just like everybody else, very bored. And I had followed, uh, you know, the various long Furby shenanigans online for a little while. And I decided that since I needed something to do, I was going to make one. And as I researched, I came to find out I, I didn't know at the time, but they had released other models throughout the years, aside from the ones that, that I remembered. And I fell in love with the Furby Connects because their form language is like so rounded and like open and friendly. They're, they're practically just circles. Uh, and I decided that I would mess about with one of those. So I, I bought one secondhand and decided to make it my new friend. You know, the reaction to little kids being uh, afraid of Furby, I can see that for like really young children for sure, because it's like, what is this thing? Why is it talking to me? And uh, even some adults are afraid of him too. So uh, yeah, I, I can see that. I mean, it's not me, but I can totally see that. That is one <laughs> of the number one things that I get. I'll either get someone like totally delighted or it's like, you live with those things. Are they cursed? <laughs> Right. We get the same kind of reactions. Um, say, we were wondering, do you ever take your Furbies out into the wild? Uh, I do. So especially my, so I will call him my brand mascot, Funchable. Aw, Funchable. He's my first, my first one, my first creature. Uh, and Funchable is a long Furby with, with like a spine armature. So he'll sit on my shoulders really well. So he's kind of a hands-free uh accessory and i will take him out uh i've taken him out to like cute cafes and i blogged my like moving experience with him 
and people people like him. People seem to recognize that he's people usually recognize that he's a Furby, and because he's so pink and pastel and cute, people tend to like him. Well, of course they like him. He's adorable. And yeah, no, people tend to recognize Furbies in the wild. Just about everybody. It's like it's like the idea like the Furby in me acknowledges the Furby in you, and it's kind of amazing. Now, I want to talk for a minute about theming because your Furb-adjacent beings are so well-themed. And for everyone out there, check out Furby Factory Store's Instagram page for just some really great, solid theming ideas. Like, one of your Furbies is a carnival. Basically, it has a little hat. It has a popcorn bucket and a little Ferris wheel. And it's just, it's so good. Um, Tell us a little bit about your process and how you come up with ideas and really... I mean, I just think you're one of the best theming people out there. I want to know, how do you do this? I try to give them all like a very sweet uh, demeanor. I try to put a personality in all of them. And I try to make them all like, uh, I, I described my stuff once as like, as like, it's it's art dolls, but you know, they're friend shaped. You know, you want to hug them. Oh, friend shaped. Yes. It, it's fine. So I went to art school uh, and I didn't use my degree. Like I think a lot of people don't sometimes that's no big deal but it gave me a lot of understanding of how to do a theme so when you're doing a final project that is going to be judged and it's on such and such a theme or this is your prompt or whatever you like you learn how to do it because you've got a, a grade and and tuition money on the line essentially um so it was fun it was a fun challenge for me to take that and put that into a like a physical thing that I was making. That particular one that you mentioned, the carnival one, is, is a really good example. My girlfriend was so fed up with me uh, <laughs> as I was making that little Ferris wheel. That little Ferris wheel, it's it's a for for people who can't see it right now, it's a little hat that goes on the Furby and it sits in a little itty bitty popcorn bucket. Um, and, and there's a Ferris wheel coming out of it and the Ferris wheel actually moves. So it was a pain in the butt <laughs> to attempt to paint and put on the Furby. Um, but it's really fun and like creatively challenging for somebody to come to me and say, okay, I want a carnival themed Furby or I want, I had somebody who said they wanted an art deco themed Furby or something like so high concept and change it into like a physical, tangible thing. Oh my goodness, I love it. I too went to art school and I know exactly what you're talking about. You know, we were reflecting the other day and it's like, you know, I don't know if my professors would be proud of me for like, oh, you're doing it. Like you you did the small business, you're using your art degree or like horrified that I would, that I'm using it to make Furbies. But you know, I, I think I think they'd be proud. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, they'd better be proud. So my my girlfriend and I have have an agreement. Like, if we ever get to the point where she like, you know, maybe she becomes a published author or something, she can write uh, a letter to her uh, professors that she did it and she made it, and I'll write a letter to my professors that I did it and I made it, and I'll send them a picture. <laughs> It'd be like, dear Professor Smith, I don't mean to brag, but I have figured out the meaning of life. <laughs> Speaking of the meaning of life, um, not to get all existential dread here for a second, but uh, but we will. You've probably heard scientists say that we have like 10 good years left. Yeah, I've heard that. And 
I feel like if you're alive right now and under the age of 80 or 70 or 60 or 50 or 40, you're going to feel that existential dread on a pretty regular basis. And that has a tendency to wear on the psyche, wear on your emotions, just kind of wear on existence in general. Do you feel like Furby kind of helps with that a little bit? It's weird because they're they're like, in a way, they're kind of like cursed creatures, right? But they're super calming um, just to like have them um, and like... So they'll, they can sit and talk to you. They're not worried about anything. Frankly, the like creative process of like getting to work on them and like do something with your hands and lose yourself in that process is, is very good for me personally. Um, if I didn't have something to do with my hands all the time, I would like shred all my own clothes. Like it'd be leaving a, it'd be like leaving a dog alone for too long. Um, <laughs> so yes. yes, I find that they're very cathartic being able to like work with them. And I put bandanas and like hats and stuff on mine. I dress them up. Um, just being able to like do all that stuff and tap into your inner kid, maybe not my inner kid. My inner kid was afraid of fur Furbies, but like somebody's inner kid. <laughs> right. That's that's a good point. Like Furbies, they help with a lot. Um, if you have one, you know, in your bag or in your purse or some people even like put them in their pocket. Um, if you have them with you, it's sort of like an emotional support creature, N not an emotional support animal. That's a completely different thing or a service animal, completely different thing. But it's kind of like this little, you know, like little character that's there on your side all the time. Just sort of, hey, how's it going, friend? Um, and that provides a lot of support, especially when so much of the world is kind of out of control this is like one thing one little part of your own world that you can control and it helps reconnect you with like your inner child and I think it helps a lot with healing too I mean weirdly healing but still healing I 100% agree I've got I've got a friend who has a like a doll collection uh and she will like just pop a doll into her bag as she goes out and you know and go to the, the starbucks and she's got the doll um and i don't find that to be weird at all i i think it's like grounding um and i think having something that you have some kind of like emotional attachment to with you for like comfort like i don't think that's weird when i go on business trips i always take a, a stuffed animal or, or recently a furby with me um a, to, like, document the journey, because I think it's funny, and B, like, how much joy can you have? I went to the Space Needle recently in Seattle, and there was so much joy when I popped a Furby out of my, ca out of my case uh, and held it up for the, like, touristy picture. I had joy. The person taking the camera had joy. Everybody in the line all of a sudden had joy. And if you've got that much joy going on when you're all standing in line waiting for like a chintzy tourist photo, like I think it can only be a good thing. Yes. I think it's magical because when we're doing that, we are manifesting joy. And I do the same kind of thing completely unprovoked, like behold, here is my child and take it out. And like strangers are like, what is she doing? And in a way, it's almost like what they do at theme parks, like you're creating an environment, you're creating a safe space for people to experience something really cool that they probably wouldn't experience in their everyday lives. I found when you bring a Furby out in public, and you take it out in public, and you're just like, unabashedly this is my Furby and you're like you know playing with the Furby staging photos whatever it's a really good way to find out who your people are yes and I find that it's much more that reaction than any other reaction I get more like happy reactions than than I ever do uh any sort of negative or like put off reaction 
Same. Absolutely. It's always a good day whenever we take one of the Furbies or many of the Furbies with us. Speaking of taking Furbies with us, have you ever encountered another Furby fan in the wild? And if so, what was that experience like? So, yes. And this is good timing on this question. So last weekend <laughs> was uh, pride in my in my town. Uh, and there was at one of the booths completely randomly a Furby, a 2012 Furby sitting just at the booth and I came up to the booth and I was like yo this Furby is it yours and the lady at the booth um she had like coloring pages and all this other stuff out and she was like yeah that's that's my Furby I really like it and I was like can I take a picture with your Furby to prove that this happened and I met you in real life and it was very cool we got to bond I love it. Yeah, Furby people are some of the best people I found. I mean, honestly, we haven't really gotten like so far knock on wood, uh, really much online hate at all. There have been a few comments here and there, but generally people uh, in the Furby community that I have seen and met are just amazing people. Like I've never met someone in the Furby community who's just, you know, bent on hate. You know what? Neither have I. Furby people are the most accepting people. They they really are. They're They're all so lovely. Um, and, and I think that's true of like any identity you might have and also like any skill set you might have. I've, I've had people approach me like, cause I'm very open to questions. I, I even put that like in my bios, like you're welcome to ask me questions anytime about my process. It's not like secret. Um, and, and I'll have people say, oh, well, I'm afraid to start cause I don't know how to sew or I don't know how to whatever. And like, don't be afraid. Nobody's going to judge you. And, like, I didn't know how to sew before I started doing this. So, <laughs> don't worry. Uh, it's, it's a very accepting community. It really is. So, we'd like to know next, what did you do before uh, you were really into Furbies? Like, was there a time before you were into Furbies? And if so, uh, what were you up to? So, my thing before Furbies was uh, magic wands. I'm, I'm very much like a Sailor Moon kid. So, I have a bunch of, like, vintage toys that I had previously worked on anyway. So, I wasn't super afraid of, like, the nuts and bolts, you know, once you take the fur off the Furby. That, that part didn't scare me too much. Although, admittedly, the 2016 Connect model is sort of a beast to, to work with if, if you don't know how to get around it. Um, I think I've got it down to a science now. Uh, and yeah, I had no idea how to sew. So my my brand mascot is my prototype, Funchable, and he is entirely hand-sewn. I did not have a sewing machine. Um, his stitches are messy. Uh, and I bought a sewing machine off of my first commission, a little $100 sewing machine, and just taught myself. I'm a person who will rip out the stitches and do it again if it doesn't look right so there was a lot of like iteration i guess really just kind of like uh bashing my head against the problem until i won <laughs> wow so you came at this not even knowing how to sew that's pretty incredible that you kept up with it were there ever times where you just like oh this is too much i want to give up so i'm a person who has always known that I was going to be an artist. And even like when I was a little kid, I always knew that I was gonna go to college for art. It, you know, and kids entertain stuff of like, oh, I wanna be an astronaut, I wanna be a ballerina. It was For me, it was always, I wanna be an astronaut and an artist. Um, and no matter what 
a new flavor of job or thing I was interested in. It was always and art or with art or that kind of a thing. So I've been digging my hands into the, like the creative process uh, for as long as I can remember. And when I got into college, I went through a watercolor class that mm. really taught me not to take the process of creation so seriously. So the thing about watercolors is uh, they fade over time. It's not like oil painting. So watercolors have effectively a human lifespan. Wow. Okay. I paint and I had no idea about that. They fade over time and then there's not much that can be done about that, unfortunately. Um, so it was more about the joy of creating and learning um, rather than trying to make like a masterpiece that would last the ages and um, all that kind of stuff. And it taught me to be really like free with uh, how I did things and taught me that, you know, experimentation uh, is okay and that I shouldn't take it like so seriously that it paralyzes me, you know, because because the, then what have I gained? Wow. Yeah, this this just got real profound, everyone. Um, <laughs> like it's very in the now. Uh, it seems very much like, you know, the, the people that um, I think they're monks that, you know, like paint with sand and then the sand blows away eventually. And the whole point is what you do right now and the immediacy of the art. That is that is some profound stuff. I love it. It is so cool to talk to someone who's gone to art school. Um, those of us that have gone, we can always kind of find each other. We're just a little on the edge, a little weird sometimes, or especially people that have studied art. Um, it's just always a lot of fun. Uh, speaking of art school, though, I think one of the Furbies you could make that would be really cool. One of the themes would be like a, a Dadaist Furby. And um, for those of you who know, you know what Dadaism is. Great. For those of you who don't, it was uh, a movement uh, of artists that were juxtaposing like print edition uh, magazine clippings uh, with other things so they'd put like a typewriter on someone's body like in images and it was really avant-garde really cool stuff at the time but I think that'd make such a cool Furby oh my gosh that would be so amazing it could I be like put yeah, it in go a ahead. urinal or something yes <laughs> yes, yes 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 exactly yeah and it'd be like you know, like, hooray, the butter's gone. Let's eat the bullets or whatever. I did a whole master's oh, thesis on... Be incredible. Yeah, I did a whole thesis on uh, German Expressionism between World War One and Two, and... Whoa! Easy, horsey. Slow down the podcast. We're about to go into another deep dive. Deep dive. So, German Expressionism between World War One and Two. It was a time where art was really used to, uh, obviously, to express, and it was really polarizing because um, Hitler, who was coming to power at the time, was very much a fan of like this sort of quote-unquote classical art style. Like it had to look somewhat real, but also be really aspirational. The idea of like the perfect man, the perfect woman, they had to look fertile and quote healthy and like look a very certain Aryan way. Um, trigger warning, everybody. But um, then there were the expressionists that were doing cool stuff, like 
they were doing like the glass chain concept and like blue horses and things that shouldn't exist in nature and they were just like going for it painting these wild scenes and uh, Hitler even put together uh, the degenerate art exhibit and straight up stole a lot of this artwork from the expressionists and um, put it all in this quote unquote gallery which was really like a bunch of crowded rooms and he would like exhibit one painting that was like by some really famous expressionist artist right next to another painting that looked kind of similar that was done by someone in like you know an insane asylum and it was like these artists are insane was like what he was trying to put forth as this idea in society and um, it was really a scary time and I think art is just so important for getting people to change how they think and um, art can be uh, you know to, to people like Hitler art was a dangerous thing and he wanted to control the narrative he even limited you know I mean obviously aside from all the other horrible stuff that he did like he also limited like the kind of paint that artists could buy and uh, it's just a whole thing when you dig into it. Especially since I've learned that, I've really felt drawn towards artists that are on the edge, that are doing something different, that are doing something that's never been seen, because I think that's the function of art in society in many ways. Aside from personal enjoyment in creating it, there's the exhibition factor where people are seeing what you're doing in public and it's changing how they think, it's changing their minds. I mean, imagine some of the most pivotal films in your life, like, who would you be if you hadn't seen those? It's a big deal. So when someone, like, takes a Furby and they take it out of its conventional box and they do something unconventional with it like longify it or put horns or wings on it or you know put five heads on it whatever it's just it's art and that's so cool and that's something that no one's ever seen before i furbies definitely are things that that no one has ever seen before so with all the so there's a lot of like i will affectionately call them cursed furbies with like extra legs or arms or teeth or what whatever whatever they might have going on you know uh, and I was immediately reminded of Hieronymus Bosch. Uh, yes, and yes, I Bosch. So desperately want to make one that is like specifically uh, Hieronymus Bosch themed. Yes. Okay. If you do it, you know that um, parade that they do every year for Bosch. It's in the Netherlands. They literally have all these people like dress up at like like art that he did and float down a river. It's wild. Have you heard of that? Yes. I think you should get sponsors and we should all as a community find a way to send you, uh, you know, once you do that Furby to this uh, annual parade. And uh, I don't know how it's going to happen, but like, do it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think that would be amazing. I do, too. I think it'd be amazing. I love it when people are inspired to do, you know, what calls to them. Um, speaking of what calls to you, uh, what was your childhood like growing up? Were you encouraged to be creative, to be silly, to do fun things? Like, what was that like for you? Uh, 100%. My whole family, really, but but my mom especially, always really encouraged my, you know, if you want to draw, like, let's, let's draw. Um, if every Christmas or birthday or whatever, my family would get me, like, those little art kits that you get kids. So I would always have stuff like that lying around. And my mom always tried to take me out to do things and I think that really helped. I did a lot of my like formative years in St. Louis and St. Louis has a lot of like free public stuff that you can go see so they have like a butterfly house and the zoo there is free um, and they have a big science center there so we would always be going out and like learning new things and like 
tangibly like touching new things, experimenting with new things. I think she thought it was important for me to learn, but also I think it was probably pretty convenient to be able to entertain your kid with stuff like that. So <laughs> I think it was kind of two birds with one stone, but because I had all of that um, exposure to animals and the scientific process, and there's a place down there called the Magic House where you deal with a lot of like kinetic toys and, and things of that nature. Uh, I just really sort of loved to get out and explore and experiment and try new stuff. I love it. Experimentation and, you know, doing stuff directly like that and playing and just having fun and having that level of encouragement leaves such an imprint on you when you're a kid. Um, it's so important because you can draw on that later in life, bring it forward, bring it into your art. It develops a confidence. That is that is so cool. So you mentioned that you are a fan of magic things like Sailor Moon. I have to ask, are you a Star Butterfly fan? I've never heard of it. Tell me all about it. I gotta know. I'm a huge okay. mag magical girl person. Okay, so Star Butterfly is, it's on Disney, and it's an animated cartoon series about a 14-year-old teenage girl from a magical dimension. She happens to be a, a princess, and it's not your average Disney princess thing. She is, she's wild. She, you know, rides unicorns. She, like, fights in wars. She does all kinds of crazy stuff. And she's so wild that her parents are like, that's it. You're going to school on another dimension called Earth. Uh, and so she becomes friends with this kid named Marco, who's super non-magic, but he also knows, like, martial arts. And so together they fight monsters and it's very very sailor moon-esque very pastel very cool i i think you'd love it It sounds like it's right up my alley i'm definitely gonna check it out i am the exact right audience if you have a toy tie-in i'm definitely gonna watch your show and i'm definitely gonna buy the toy so problem is there's not really enough like merch tie-in with the show but there is plenty of opportunity to like make your own wand type of thing there's so much visual going on in the show oh incredible <laughs> So we'd really like to know also about like your space and where you do your work. When we moved here, we decided that the dining space in our new apartment um, was going to be my workspace. Uh, so we set aside workspace for my partner, too, of course. Um, but, you know, Furbies, especially when you're making them take up a lot of room. <laughs> Uh, so I have effectively an L-shaped desk set up with a bunch of cubbies and drawers for all of my various materials. I am attempting to broadening my scope a little bit, trying to make more like plushies and stuff, like smaller creatures, um, to use up some of the fur scraps because I have run out of room. I have hit maximum capacity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think most artists can relate to that. Walk us through those pillows, though. What's that about? Yes, so I do have the little pillows. I'm kind of experimenting with um, some of them are weighted, some of them aren't, because I thought it might be nice to, like, hold, you know, if they're, like, weighted. Um, I'm also experimenting with making plushified Furby, like, earrings. Like I'm trying to make them, like, light enough to be, like, viable earrings, because um, I think that'd be really fun. I'm trying to make stuff that's more like money friendly and earth friendly. So I'm trying to use up my scraps instead of throwing them away because I think that's really important. And I'm trying to make stuff, you know, not not everybody has the the liquid assets to, to go for a full like six foot long Furby crawler. And I totally understand that, but I think that art should be for everybody. So I'm trying to make stuff that's a little bit more accessible. I'm trying to make stuff where I can 
set aside parts of the funds for uh, various like charitable works. Uh, those little pillow ones uh, donate to uh, an abortion fund or a women's reproductive health fund. So I think that's really important that I can give some of that back invest the rest into making more Furbies. <laughs> I feel like the Furby community, we, we have a lot of power to wake people up and get people to pay attention. And that's super important. I feel like there's a lot of equalization that can happen with art. It can help, you know, tip the scales in, in people's favor. Like they might say no, but we're going to say yes. I agree. Yeah. Furbies are, are, like I said, like we talked about, you know, the Furby community is a very accepting community. I also think that the Furby community, and I mean this in a good way, can be a very like loud community, can be like heard. Like when we started seeing all of these uh, kind of terrible political decisions being made, um, I see people in my feed all the time with like a picture of the Furby and the Furby's saying like, okay, here's how you go, how you outfit yourself for a protest. So I, I think that having the opportunity to donate some of those funds, um, it's like really cool. I'm, I'm happy to be able to, to do that and uh, spread some of that love via Furbies. This is the future we are building. This is the world we are building. Join us, everybody. Come on. What's a good starter project for someone who's a Furb enthusiast, but like they've never augmented a Furby before? Where should they start, in your opinion? A Furby buddy, specifically one of the beanbag ones. So a Furby buddy um, is a non-electronic creature, and it's a little smaller. It like fits in the palm of your hand. And some of them have like more intricate insides, but there are some, and you can look up the like different colors to see like which one is which. Uh, a Furby buddy, there are some that are just beans on the inside, so you don't have to unstitch them in order to dye them. So you can just buy some dye. Like you can even use like regular tie dye stuff as long as it works on synthetic fabric. Dye the Furby to whatever color you want it to be. Right, that's pretty cool. Um, because there are no moving parts in the face, it's easy to just like paint it. And then you have a little custom Furby and you can stick a bow on it. You can stick little gems on it. You can stick little horns on it. it. They're easy to like customize because there's not a whole lot of like delicate stuff going on in the inside and they don't need to be like taken apart and put back together. This is solid advice. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Any tips for how to paint plastic? Because a lot of the things you encounter with the Furby, be it the eyelids or Furby beanies, if you want to customize their eyes, or if you want to customize like a McFurb, how do you paint the plastic? That's often a big challenge. And sometimes it just flakes right off when you're done. How do you get past that? Yeah. So my tip is some light sanding. That'll, that'll do you a world of good. And I use Vallejo surface primer. It's a gray primer. You shake it up, you put it on. I put two coats on and that really gives the, the paint a lot of like stick. It will really bond to that, to that plastic. That's actually what I have to use on my bigger projects with connects because the plastic on their ears like rejects paint. It absolutely will not take paint. Um, so I have to like rough up the ears um, and use the surface primer on there. Um, and finally, like just slapping a coat of sealant uh, will do a world of good. When, when I used to work with like magical wands and stuff, I would also use um, nail polish because the nail polish is self-leveling and will adhere pretty well as long as you put a clear coat over it. So you can even use materials like that without fear of it peeling up as long as you treat the surface well. 
that's that's the secret. Some of my magic wands are super shiny and slick looking, and the secret is nail polish. And like you couldn't do that on all the moving parts of the Furby, obviously. But like for some things, like like the ears on a Connect or like the eye chips on a Furby, nail polish is a great hack. We are always looking for good hacks. Thank you. We're wrapping up here, and I just want to know if you have any sort of final words for someone that's maybe just getting into Furby modifying, and maybe they're a little bit intimidated. Don't be afraid of the creature, uh, and buy one that you, like, buy a burner Furby, because straight up, like, I tried to keep Fungible working the first time, and I broke him because I didn't fully understand like the inner workings of how it worked. So like buy one specifically to take apart, get into the insides and see how it works. Like give yourself the leeway to do that. You can buy old 98s, like real beat up ones um, for pretty cheap. Um, even like 2012s, you can find some of those for like Furby Booms. You can find those for pretty cheap. And just give yourself the leeway to like have that time for experimentation um, and just see what you can create with it, even if it doesn't function the first time, because I know that's important to a lot of people. And, and just give yourself that time to learn rather than jumping into it as like a big project, because that's where I think a lot of people like kind of intimidate themselves is thinking of it as like a big project. Think of it as a toy first and like... Break it apart. See how it works. Break it apart and see how it works. Words to live by. Parting thought. Uh, we recently stumbled into a Build-A-Bear workshop when we had one of our Furbies with us. And I don't know if you know this, but a lot of their merch fits perfectly. The 2005 Emototronic Furbies. Have you experienced this? Yes. Build-A-Bear. So we, we stand Build-A-Bear at my house. So I have several, a couple of projects with like wings on them. Those wings are rehabbed Build-A-Bear outfits. Build-A-Bear makes stuff that works for Furbies. Um, I desperately want to try Build-A-Bear has little skates that they have for their bears. Oh, that's amazing. Build-A-Bear has like not only just like shoes that are skates, it has the little things that you can clip onto any of the Build-A-Bear shoes. It's essentially just like a clip with like wheels. So even if the like Build-A-Bear shoes don't fit your 2005 baby, you can get the little like clip on wheels and just pop them on to whatever you give give the Furby like that you made for yourself. Okay, this is amazing. And this is why Build-A-Bear should sponsor the show immediately. Build-A-Bear, you heard it here. Get on it. Yeah, and, and while you're at it, Build-A-Bear, um, can you build a line of clothing for vintage Furbies? That would be really cool. And also Hasbro, while we're here, while we're talking to you, um, could you just re-release the classic Furbies? Absolutely. Hasbro, <laughs> can you please release the um, Afterpay last year that had a, a Furby? mascot uh like for christmas yeah that was um like the ultimate gift finder yeah it was like this furby that would find the ultimate gift it was an unreleased one it was a little chunkier and it was like this pretty like mint green blue please mm -hmm. release that furby yeah come on hasbro get it together we want this in our lives make make it happen and now the moment you've all been waiting for we're finally going to learn about chuby elf so I obviously work with 2016 Connects and there's there's always like a, you know, a knockoff, you know, the Furby fakes. So there is a Furby fake for a 2016 Connect 
and it was released i don't remember i think it's chinese and it's called chuby elf and chuby elf is my soulmate if anybody has a chuby elf please get a hold of me i want to see it i want to pet it i want to be its friend i love chuby elf chuby elf is like the most adorable weird little creature and they released them in like weird colors that they didn't release the 2016 connects with so if anybody has like a 2016 chinese knockoff furby that's called chuby elf like hit me up i want to know about it okay i am going to keep an eye out for this and if ever i see one i'm going to be like hey 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 you need to check this out thank you so much i appreciate that you're welcome and uh siobhan we've come to the end of our show today and i just want to say again a huge thank you for being the first ever guest on the inaugural episode of the furb world podcast into the ditherverse this has meant so much it has been so good talking with you are there any final words that you have for our audience today I think we're good to go. Check me out. Furby Factory Store. Uh, Furby says reproductive rights are health care. Furby says trans rights. All of that stuff. All of that stuff indeed. Thank you so much, Siobhan. This has been awesome. Thank you to our listeners for being part of our podcast. This has really meant a lot to us. It's kind of a dream come true to be able to do something that was really cool, like from your youth and find other really cool people that want to talk about it and just be weird and have a good time. And now to everyone out there in podcast land. Keep your furbs close and your friends closer. Life is short. Have a good time. Subscribe to our podcast and we'll hang out again soon and dive into the Ditherverse. And now to everyone out there in podcast land, keep your furbs short and your friends closer. Li- Now it's time for our nonprofit shout out. At the end of every episode, we'll list some of our favorite nonprofits so you can donate to them and really make a difference. Or if you're in need of help or know someone else who is, these are some places that might be able to help. Nonprofit number one, Trans Lifeline, a peer support crisis hotline serving transgender people by offering phone support and micro grants available in the United States and Canada. Nonprofit number two, the National Center for Transgender Equality. Do you want to fight for trans rights? The National Center for Transgender Equality will help you take national and local action. Number three, the Southern Poverty Law Center. This nonprofit specializes in civil rights and public interest legislation. They also monitor hate groups and other extremist groups and report their activities to law enforcement agencies. Number four, the Native American Rights Fund, providing legal advocacy to help create a world where native rights, resources, and lifeways are protected. Number five, and one of my favorites, the Sogo Riote Land Trust. This indigenous Bay Area nonprofit seeks to rematriate the land that is now known as Oakland, San Francisco, and basically the Bay Area in California. These are just some of our favorite nonprofits, but we also encourage you to get involved with nonprofits on a local level. We encourage you to do your part when you can. Volunteer for these organizations. Ask how you can help. Donate money when you can. Some organizations even accept donations like used cars, so you never know. It's important to get involved. You can make a difference. 
Uh, this concludes the broadcast of the Furb World Into the Dithiverse podcast. Thank you for listening. We hope to have you next time.